0: This is Are We Europe, the podcast for a changing continent. We ask the small questions and get the big answers. We dive into all things European cultures and identities and bounce all over the continent. It's about the places and people that come to life in sound-rich stories, readouts from our print magazines, episodes from one of the amazing podcasts in our podcast family, or intimate behind-the-scenes interviews with our favorite storytellers and Europe's most talented creators. We got it all on this channel. It's Europe streaming right in your ears. <laughs> are we? Are we on? Are we? Are we Europe? What the truth is and how it should be told.
1: I think there are a lot of borders to be broken.
0: You can build it together. Community.
2: <laughs> An adrenaline rush.
0: Open minds. Open borders. Openness. Try to make Europe sexy with all senses. Are we? Are we? Are, are we, we Europe? Europe? <laughs> yeah. What up? Are we Europe? Boom.
2: Hi, listeners. Welcome to a series about what it means to be queer and European. My name is Annaline Opov, and I am the editor in chief of The Queer Issue. Every quarter, RWE Europe surprises their members with a story that pushes the boundaries of journalism story based recipes, interactive maps, or, as in this case, a podcast collaboration with Europe Santément. Produced by Letitia Shawan. I think that it
3: clicked for me when, after always campaigning in a very local way before, it clicked for me in 2013-2014, just after experiencing the fight here in France for marriage for all.
4: The voice you just heard is Silvia Casalino, an Italian aerospace engineer lesbian, and co-director of the European Central Asia Lesbian Community, an organization that advocates for the right of lesbian women across Europe and Central Asia. I was lucky enough to be able to interview her in duo with Joël Sambi, president of the same organization, Belgian Kangolese, author, poet, and lesbian as well. This is the second part of the episode dedicated to the place of the LGBTIQ community in Europe, with this time a focus on the place of gay women. Talking about the place of homosexual women in Europe is quite specific, as we are at the frontier of two minorities, so to speak, being a woman and being a lesbian. That is what we called intersectionality, that is to say, situations of people, experiencing multiple forms of discrimination or oppression. You will hear that their speech is not exactly the same as that of Thomas and Jarek, who were interviewed in the previous episode. So, how do you build your identity when you are a lesbian woman, and for Joël, Afro-descendant? That this intersectionality has an impact on the place of lesbian women in Europe. My name is Leticia Chaban. I am French, European, and an heterosexual woman. You're listening to Europe et Sentiments. Episode 10: Do you need to be heterosexual to be European? 331 225. In France, the law opening marriage to same-sex couples was promulgated on May 17, 2013, after months of heated debates and public demonstration between defenders of the principle of equality and their opponents, defender of the so-called family values.
5: After 136 hours and 46 minutes of debate, the National Assembly adopted the ouvrant opening marriage. Au couple de personnes de meme sex.
4: At the time, Sylvia worked in Toulouse at the National Centre for Space Studies and was already a local activist for LGBTQ rights, and those of lesbian in particular. This period played as a trigger for Sylvia, as for many other activists. They realized that to defend your rights, you have to join forces and work as a network.
3: When we studied the Manif Pour Tous movement against same-sex marriage, we realized that these are people who are much more organized than we are, who obviously have more money, but who are also much more connected with branches of a movement which, which is in contact with many different countries and which is managing to create a network which suddenly becomes very strong and very difficult to counter or at least to, well, it was a real clash at that time, a clash of principles of of what we believed to be good or not good for society. And so that's when I think we said to ourselves, ah, maybe it would be interesting to go and also see what's happening in the LGBT network, see what we can do with alliances that are a little more... Hmm, that are in other countries, other experiences might be interesting, and will strengthen us from a local point of view as well. And I think that, yeah, that was the vision, or in any case, the understanding of the strength which comes from networking, which made us switch and put ourselves in a context which was suddenly much broader, since it was all of Europe, and then it became Europe and Central Asia.
2: What is true is that there are specificities that are proper to different countries in Europe, but that cannot be denied as long as there is a pan-European commitment. As you say, we cannot act as if, you know, a lesbian in Spain encountered the same reality as, I don't know, than in Austria, etc. Although they are realities which are specific to European countries, on the other hand, what we are all aiming collectively is that our rights are not longer flooded. And for that, I think it's important to talk to each other and to
5: federate, you know.
4: It was not until 2017, so three years later, that the European Lesbian Conference organization was born. It was no longer just a question of defending LGBTI rights, but of creating a group to make visible and be the voice of the specific problems and discrimination encountered by lesbians across Europe.
3: So in the beginning, it was called the European Lesbian Conference. And after that, we expanded and we called it the Euro-Central Asian Lesbian Community. So now. We would like to create a community that goes all the way to Central Asia. But at the very beginning, what was interesting is that we met at a conference by ILGA Europe, which is a big association, the main LGBTI network in Europe. And we did a panel, a discussion with lesbians. And it was very interesting, because there were lesbians from Eastern Europe, there were lesbians from Western Europe, there were lesbians who were Muslim, there were lesbians who were Catholic, lesbians who were Orthodox. And in the end, there were things on which we all more or less agreed, despite our cultural differences, and also the differences in the countries where we live. There are countries where it's where marriage is allowed, there are countries where you can do medically-assisted reproduction as two women and a couple, there are countries where you can do medically-assisted reproduction, like in Ukraine, if you're a single woman, but marriage between women is not legal, So these are situations which, from a legal point of view, are very, very different. But when we met and we said, well, we still have some things in common, that is to say, the two main things in common were that we don't know our history as activists, but also our roots, if I can call them that, our creative and cultural roots as a lesbian community. And secondly, we are always out of the picture, meaning that there's a real problem of visibility for lesbians. Because either we're not working on our own needs and necessities, or when we mainly take care of others, or when we try to do things, then they're forgotten right away.
5: The role of women in
3: general isn't easy to trace back. So we said to ourselves that we were going to try to do something with this political space in mind, this political region, to try to use the few instruments precisely political ones, like the European Union, like the Council of Europe, or the United Nations in relation to Central Asia too, to advance our activism, struggle of women, the visibility of lesbians in Europe and Central Asia. So it was really a shared point of view between us, despite the fact that the situations are very different. In Italy, there's only a kind of civil union, In France, we have marriage, but not assisted reproduction. And in Spain, we can have children. We can even go there just to have children without being Spanish. So countries are very different. And in Hungary today, lesbians get screwed by the government because you have to display heterosexual moral principles for children. So
4: Europe is very different in this regard, actually. In this episode, we are talking less about East versus West differences or opposition. Despite the differences in acceptance and in the social and legal context across Europe on LGBTI women's rights issues, one thing is shared. Being a woman and being gay entails double discrimination.
5: (laughs) What is surprising is that at the moment on commence à à s'intéresser ou en tout cas à à mettre uh, le le mot uh, lesbien, à mettre ça à l'agenda.
2: What is surprising, you know, is that from the moment we start to be interested or at least in, to use the word lesbian, to put it on the agenda, to systematically bring it back into the discussions, negotiations or any type whatsoever, well, we realize how our realities are dissolved in a kind of a big hole. So it's either going to be Oh yeah, well, as long as we take care of women's rights, well, we take care of lesbians' rights. With this famous question, are lesbians women? And as long as we are concerned with the rights of homosexual people, well, yes, lesbians are taken into account. What we often forget is that we come across several things. We are both women, we are lesbians. Finally, there are different layers which are through which discrimination can occur. Even in Belgium, where it is quiet, while well, one of the countries where in terms of the law, things are quite simple, let's say, we can get married, we can have children, we can have assisted reproduction, etc. While well, even there, we realize that in the legal texts, it is registered, but in fact, in practice. Take a simple example, the consideration of sexual health for lesbians. It is something that is absolutely not emphasized. It is not something that we have in mind when, if we don't talk about it, if we don't make sure to say, well, yes, be careful, because it is not the same thing, and well, it is something that goes a bit by the wayside. So I think it varies greatly depending on the country. But I think what remains is that even when it has the appearance of progressivism, or in any case of acceptance, and even then, we still have to go deep behind to realize that, yes, but it is still not quite right, you see. We were talking earlier about pan-European. Well, yes, to make up the numbers and being together and having this type of strategy at a level which concerns all the countries of Europe. And well, it is also important because it allows us whatever the place where we live to say, hey, beware, or oh, the strategy tells me that, oh I'm discriminated against, in such and such place, on such and such point, etc. So these are things that I concretely can have an influence on the daily life of lesbians at a local level.
4: Kylie is a young woman born in Northern Ireland in a small village at the border with the Republic of Ireland. She tells me that she only came out with her homosexuality this year since moving to England. Raised in a very conservative, protestant, and unionist family that is one that defends the union between Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom, it was impossible for her to live out her homosexuality in broad daylight. Like Joelle and Sylvia, she shared this feeling that it's not the same to be a gay woman or to be a gay man.
1: So yeah, to grow up in Northern Ireland as um gay or LGBT, which is pretty pretty bad. <laughs> because I feel it's my community was so homophobic and influenced by the church and controlled. Um and I grew up in such a rural area. Like it was very limited. It was like you're gay or straight and if you're gay that's bad and a lot of like homophobic feeling in school and stuff. Um and yeah I suppose part of why I live in England. Um I feel like that's part of maybe not conscious, but I I felt very trapped in Northern Ireland when I went back after my year in England. You know, I was homesick then. But then I went back to Northern Ireland and you're like, oh God, all these things seem far worse. <laughs> like the sectarianism and the job market and the homophobia and and the pro-life stuff. When I think of like my background of the unionist community, like. I know more like gay men from the unionist background, from my background. And I think because unionist culture, basically it's a colonial culture, so it's a very patriarchal culture. And I think it's easier to like I know quite a lot of unionist gay men are still very unionist. and I think it's easier as a gay man because you're still you're still a man, so you still got the power and respect of being a man, I think. Um, and then yeah, I feel like because Unionist politician politics in Ireland is, and the society and culture is very misogynistic really and for example there's this really awful organisation <laughs> the Orange Order which was a big part of my growing up actually it's very anti-Catholic I'd say but like there's a woman's lodge and a man's lodge and they march and do like music and it's all about like basically celebrates Britain continuing to rule Ireland <laughs> it's pretty intense. Um, and yeah, like i these guys I knew from my background be like when I was uni, they're like, why don't you join up, Kelly? Join the lodge, make a good apple tart, and that's kind of like <laughs> that's the role of women. Like the men, the women are are lower down. They aren't allowed to march in front, and they don't they can't be like voted in head of organisation. And they generally make the tea and <laughs> and the tarts. And this is, you know. Um, and um, perhaps, I feel like there's, like those political parties, they were still very strongly opposed for a long time. And there were still elements who were very pro-life and homophobic.
4: Unlike Thomas and the Hatter Society, who told me about the importance of the European Union in funding local LGBTI rights organization, Sylvia is much more nuanced. For her, lesbian organizations are not as visible and not as funded as gay organizations. As with women's rights, it seems that two phenomena are taking place. First, the feeling of illegitimacy for women in taking their place, also known among feminist activists. And then the phenomenon of invisibilization. They seem to go down the drain more quickly than their male counterparts.
5: La question de l'argent
3: the question of money is a fundamental issue actually as a I think I have the impression that actually as women we're always too used to doing everything on our own from home without getting paid so the feminist movements and the lesbian movements have done a lot of work, but we 've never put in place systems that are capable of going and asking for money etc. Or, when we asked for it, we were refused outright. So there is very little money that is made available for this type of activism, or social work, which is important work to ensure that the political level and the legal level match the societal level, or social acceptance, or in any case, the regard that there is for lesbian women in history. And suddenly we find ourselves in paradoxical situations. For example, You were talking about Hungary. The Hungarian friends in this incredible association, which is almost 20 years old, called Le Brise, which is a lesbian association, were telling us, before Hungary's official entry into Europe, after the fall of the wall, there was funding that arrived from the United States, which succeeded somewhat in consolidating certain feminist and lesbian movements. And then, when we became part of Europe... These foundations, these foreign donations, said now, well, you're protected, you're in Europe, you're going to receive money from Europe, which was never the case. So we quickly see that as soon as the political situation veers to the right in a very nationalist way, those who pay for it are obviously women. They take away the right to abortion. It's gays, lesbians, and trans people. They deny them access to basic rights. So it's also about the economic stakes of Europe and the building of civil society. That's a major issue, especially for the groups that are the most oppressed, like women, like people of color, like migrants, etc. As you were saying earlier, there were elections, so there was a new parliament set up so there's going to be a new funding cycle that will open up.
5: And
3: we've submitted projects for building shelters for lesbian women in certain countries where the situation is particularly complicated, or for hosting lesbian migrants in richer Western countries. They always very quickly dismissed us, swept us away with the back of their hand. So it's an issue that is very important, especially right now, and especially in the face of very conservative movements, which are based on difficulties, real economic difficulties, and which are therefore regaining a little strength, and which are starting to strong-arm and to threaten LGBT people in different countries to take away rights or to curb rights. So it's, for us in any case, it is really one of the main roles of Europe at the moment. It's to keep in mind a political line of pressure on all the countries, so that these questions are integrated into the agendas of the different countries. And to help, I was going to say secretly, but it's not secretly,
5: to help civil
3: society to structure itself in order to succeed within countries, to provide some counterweight somehow. And real political and legal changes don't happen by themselves. We've known that for a while now, or at least that's what you think when you're an activist. Politics or the government isn't going to give you rights if you don't insist very, very strongly.
4: As you just heard, Sylvia insists more on the political role of the European Union, on its member state, and its capacity to exert pressure. Moreover, the new president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, intends to defend the LGBTI cause.
5: I will not rest when it comes to building a union of equality. A union where you can be who you are and love who you want, without fear and recrimination.
4: On November 12th, the European Commission launched its LGBTI 2020-2025 strategy, a first and a strong commitment to LGBTI people across Europe. In this text, the European Union undertakes to fight discrimination against LGBTIQ people ensuring the safety of LGBTIQ people, building inclusive society for LGBTIQ people, and leading the fight for equality for LGBTIQ people around the world. The European Commission also committed to improving the legal protection of rainbow families in cross-border situations by allowing those families and relatives who are holders of family rights to keep them in the event of a change of country which does not offer the same legal protection. Because
5: if you are a parent in one country, you are of course a parent in every country.
4: In short, it's a strong signal in the face of the rise of homophobia in Hungary and Poland in particular. For Sylvia and Joël, who participated as civil society actors in the drafting of this text, this is a first victory, even if obviously nothing is perfect.
5: We worked hard.
3: Joël can confirm that. We've been talking about it for a year. We've worked hard to ensure that this strategy can take a form that is inclusive of certain realities that we're experiencing. So we insisted, bombarded, pushed a lot for the word lesbian to be inserted in this strategy in writing, not just in the acronym LGBTI. And I think that in the end, that the result, at least from our point of view, we're interested in the visibility and rights of lesbians. It's not great. Lesbians are not named everywhere. But it's interesting that in the end, we managed to produce something in which we also talk about this intersection that Joelle spoke about earlier, which was to note that the fact of being a woman and not being heterosexual at the same time creates a powerful mix of discrimination which is not just one thing or the other. And we never manage to separate the two and to know if, are they treating me like a woman right now or are they treating me like a lesbian? So we expect a lot from it. We think that this is a really good first step towards the fact that we can not force, but nonetheless take a very educational role with countries that haven't included LGBT rights in their constitution at all, or that are very reluctant to open up pro-LGBT policies in their country. But we also expect a lot from it in countries where there are already a lot of rights, but where things haven't progressed as much as we would like.
5: So there are things to improve,
3: there are things to do. After the release of the strategy, What's supposed to happen is that there are a whole bunch of measures. It's called implementing. It's the implementation phase of the strategy. And so we're going to continue, because that's part of one of the goals of the association. We will continue to work with the Commission to try to ensure that there are implementations that work towards ensuring that lesbians are considered as human beings within their own right, and that we don't forget about them. As Joelle said earlier, between the fact that we say LGBTI, so we talk about it like we're talking about homosexuals and therefore like boys, or it's women, so that's gender measures that have to do with being women, we're a little, we're very attentive to what will happen next, and we're
5: working hard
4: on that. While the situation has improved in recent years across Europe, the LGBTIQ community still faces a lot of discrimination. According to a survey carried out by the European Commission, 43% of LGBTIQ people feel they have been discriminated against. The pandemic has only exacerbated the situation. Joël and Sylvia have witnessed it by organizing discussions time throughout the year and by opening a phone line to allow lesbians across Europe to share the story and ask for help. Today, the ambition of ELC is broader since in addition to Europe, it covers Central Asia with the objective, as Joël says laughing, to lesbianize the world. What I was going to say to sum up is that our mission basically is
2: to lesbianize the world. And while it's a bit of a joke, but it's real, what is important to us is that the word lesbian is not an insult, it is not shameful, it is not. So there is something very political behind this pirouette, but it's a way to say that we are taken into account. To say out out loud, lesbian, to take it into account when we make policies, when we decide for ourselves. uh, Okay, we're taking uh, into account uh, our realities uh, as well. And so our work also consists of this. That's why we are going to insist a lot, lot, largely, enormously. We will come back each time with that world with these realities because lesbian is multiple.
3: Yeah, I completely agree with joel it It's been a difficult year for us, for everyone, for the work we do. And at the same time, we've managed to achieve things that are incredible for us, such as being able to include a few mentions of the specific discriminations that lesbians experience in this strategy that came out this year, at the end of last year. So I think that the work has been amazing. Three years ago, when we started, nobody knew that in April, April 26th, was the International Day of Lesbian Visibility. Today, at least in the LGBT world, there are lots of people who know about it, celebrate it who say, oh yeah, it's Lesbian Visibility Day.
5: So there are things
3: inside our own community and also outside that are moving forward. And then we'll see after the end of lockdown what will happen. But what is certain is that we'll continue to work. And I think that the lesbian hype will succeed in lesbianizing the universe, not just the world
5: because the lesbian genius is still here, and we try to bring
3: plenty of it to everyone.
4: While making this episode, I remembered the discussion in exchange I had for episode 4, Do you have to be a man to be European? I found it surprising then that there were very few or no pan-european feminist organization. Because for me, several points overlap, such as the need to number up and to make visible the specificities of being a woman and being homosexual and to have our rights recognized. To end this episode, I invite you to discover the work of Silvia Casalino, who has just directed the documentary Gravity, which questioned the place of women in space exploration, and how it is not to go into space as well as the novels of Joël Samby available mostly in French in bookstores Joël is also directing the documentary Kinshasa Diaspora on the gay community in Kinshasa a work still in progress to be found on Instagram in particular Thank you for following Europe et Sentiment. If you like this episode tell others about it share it with as many people as possible, and keep talking about Europe. I hope to see you soon.
0: Dive into all our readouts from this issue or previous ones or listen to our narrative Are We Europe stories wherever you get your earful of audio right now. And don't forget, you can also become an Are We Europe member and connect with storytellers across the continent starting at 4 euros a month. Just go to areweeurope.com slash member and help us build a new media for a changing continent. That's areweeurope.com slash member.